study again in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4. And let's read verses 13 and 14. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, once again, please help us to understand this text, to, uh, to apply it to our lives, and to be faithful ministers and, and stewards. Father, we all realize that we will one day stand before your son and be judged for our stewardship, rightfully so. So we, we ask you, Lord, help us. Help us to be faithful because he is worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in verse 14, he says, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. Now, this is so very, very important. Notice that um, he doesn't say this. Do not neglect the uh, spiritual gifts that weren't given to you. He says, do, he doesn't say do not neglect what the church and its committees or, or its opinions are telling you to do. It says, don't neglect your spiritual gift. You will not be, you will not be judged for what you were not given. What were you given? And so we can look at it this way. What is, are your spiritual gifts? What are they? Secondly, what are the doors that have been opened up to you in order to minister according to those gifts? Is it a local pastorate? Is it a wider regional uh, influence? Is it national? Is it global? Is it through preaching? That would be enough. Or is it through preaching and writing? Is it through counsel to other pastors? I mean, what is it? What, what are these gifts and open doors that the son of David has given you? That's what you're going to be judged for. And, and that's why I think that there are many men today who good men who are suffering great damage because of the opinions of their church or opinions of some committee or opinions of some uh, collective deacon council or, or something like that. Now, we all know that we need to be open to instruction and correction, that the truth wasn't born with us, nor will it die with us, and that we need the congregation. At the same time, you have to determine some things because this is serious. You're not going to be judged for the responsibilities that others think you're supposed to have. You're going to be judged for the gifts that have been given to you and how you developed them and not only how you develop them, but how you use them. The open doors that he gave you. Now, sometimes many doors will be opened and you're going to have to discern that some of them are not of the Lord. I heard a story about John Wesley one time. I don't know if it's true, 
but it sure uh, is helpful that he assumed that any time anyone asked him to come and preach or minister, that he should go. And he was wearing himself out. I mean, he was killing himself. And then one day uh, he got two requests on the same day and at the same time. And he judged, well, one of them <laughs> must not be the will of God because I can't be in both places at the same time. And then from there, he extrapolated. There are times when there are open doors that I should not take them. And that's where wisdom is required. But at the same time, look what he says. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. Now, the word neglect is to be careless of, make light of, neglect, be negligent, or have no regard for it. That gift is a stewardship. What is your gift? You're listening to me now. Answer the question in your own heart. What is it that the Lord has enabled you to do in the body of Christ? That's the thing that you should do. Well, I can't. Why not? Because they won't let me. Well, you need to listen to their wisdom. Maybe what they're saying is wise. We always need to be open to counsel. But what do you mean someone won't let you do the will of God? What, what exactly does that mean? Well, they're making me do other stuff. And Eve made Adam do something too, didn't she? And he blamed her, but that didn't go well, did it? Yes, we need to be open to the direction of others. And sometimes, yes, we need to uh, meet things halfway. But are you doing things that other people are telling you to do? Because those other people will not judge you on that great day. Christ will. Now, that doesn't mean you walk in and go, I've, I've had it with you people. I'm going to do this and that's it. But you must instruct them. You know, most churches can make it very difficult for a pastor because the churches themselves don't know what a pastor is supposed to be doing. And even when they find out it's very difficult, why? Again, I want to go back to something. The honorable position of the deacon. Because deacons are not taught what a deacon should be, and because some people are asked to be deacons that have no business being deacons, it's, it's become almost a joke. People make jokes about the deacon ministry, and yet the deacon ministry is absolutely essential if there's to be a pastoral ministry. And so he says, now, in this text here in verse 14, again, it's not just do not neglect, but do not keep on neglecting. It is possible that Timothy continued to neglect his gift. Now, we know something about Timothy's heart. Paul tells us. He has no one like Timothy. I mean, Timothy is a special man. Maybe it was just out of the goodness of his heart. Maybe the desire to honestly help people and please people and not in a, a selfish, sinful sort of way. But you see, the, all that is good, but it's not what is supposed to govern our lives. What's to govern our lives? It's not circumstance, the opinions of others. It's what God has told us to do and gifted us to do. Now, Timothy receives three encouragements. 
And in order to continue on with what God has done for him, first of all, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you. So first of all, it was bestowed. By whom? By God. God gave him this gift. And to whom much is given, much is required. God gave him a gift and he needs to use that gift. Okay, it was bestowed on him, but it was further confirmed by prophetic utterance. Someone prophesied. May have even been Paul. We don't know. Someone prophesied. Yes, indeed, you have been called to this. Now, we know that um, we can have wise men today that speak into our lives. Wise men who who, although it does not come with the certainty of a prophecy, it is definitely to be listened to. I have a dear friend down in Peru and he arrived there from Cuba many years ago when Fidel uh, emptied out all his prisoners, prisons and sent his prisoners all over the world and are at least to different countries. Well, a friend of mine was one of those people and uh, and uh, he came to Peru and he had fallen into drug addiction and all sorts of things. And um, I met him at our rehab center that we had that I wasn't mine. I worked at it in Peru and he was beloved by by everyone just beloved. And he struggled uh, at times with reading and things like that, but he grew and oh, what a heart, what a heart. Everybody loved him. And he, he worked with me in, in my own church um, and did evangelism and worked with drug addicts and all kinds of things. And I'll never forget, one day he came to me very serious, very humble, and he said, I feel like that I'm supposed to do something, but I know it can't be true. And so I've been talking to the men that I most respect here in Peru that I know pastors so that they can tell me it's not true. <laughs> and uh, I said, really? And so what is that? And he goes, well, I keep having this idea and this desire to be a pastor. But, you know, Paul, I, I struggle at times with with reading and and I, uh, you know, I'm not that I'm not very eloquent. And. Uh, and he said, that can't be true. And I said, well, who did you go see? And he named off several pastors that I knew, both missionaries and Peruvians that I highly respected. And I said, well, who, what did they tell you? They all told me that they were wondering when I would come to realize that I was supposed to be a pastor, but that can't be right. And I said, well, I would have to agree with them. I've been wondering how long it would take for you to realize that you have pastoral gifts. Now, that's not prophetic utterance, but it was a lot of men just saying, oh, it's so obvious, brother. No, no matter, you know, your limitations that you believe you have and they may be real. You have a pastor's heart and you have a, an ability to teach with great simplicity. But it's edifying. It's good. It's food, you see. And then it goes on and, and he, it was also confirmed by the church itself. He, he says, 
was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Now, I think this is, is very important uh, by the elders. The elders acknowledged it, and uh, which meant also the church. And it was a serious matter. It was a very serious matter. If you look over in chapter 5, verse 22, Paul says, do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. And so it shows us the how fearful it is to ordain someone. And yet Paul was in in total agreement with the the ordaining of of Timothy. And so these are encouragements and you should take them as encouragements, first of all, if there, there is gifting in you, it was bestowed by God. Secondly, there are probably uh, men in your life, other people in your life, um, uh, believers, your own wife who says to you, yes, I mean, you, you definitely belong in the pastorate, you belong in the ministry, or you belong as an evangelist. And then a church and its elders that watch your life, that test you, Dokimazo, 1 Timothy 3, um, that test you and see that these things are so, that you are above reproach and you ought to be a minister of Christ. Now, this is so very, very important. Um, I have met men, and I, I've discovered this over the years, that um, what really tests a man is give him a little bit of authority, give him a little bit of money, or give him a little bit of fame. And people say those things change a man. No, they don't. They just reveal what the man was like from the start. All right. And but I also know of men who um, I won't say they're overly humble because it's impossible to be too humble. They're just wrong. And they have a false sense of humility. And they'll say things like, uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm not responsible for that much because I'm, I'm not that gifted. Or surely there's someone better than me. And they'll almost, they'll almost make room for laziness, for slothfulness, uh, for hiding during the battle because they go, I'm not that gifted. Well, here's an attitude that I've, I took up many, many years ago and that um, I have found to be healthy and that I've taught to the other men who work with me at Heart Cry, and that's this. I'll look around the room with all the men that I work with and I'll say this, you're right. God could have found an extraordinary number of men more worthy, more suited, more capable than us to do what we're doing. That is true. Okay, let's get that out of the way. But the fact is, he put us here. And regardless of how limited we are, we have a duty to do what we were called to do. And I think that's the way that you should approach this. You can say to yourself, you know, 
There's a million guys that are a better preacher, million guys that are better theologians, million guys who are better at exposition and counseling and all kinds of things. Okay, we all agree with you. God could have put any number of men in the pastorate in your church instead of you, and they would have been better. Okay, we all agree. But the fact is, he put you. And so you're going to have to rise to the occasion. Do you see that? I knew a man, uh, I know a man. Uh, I don't know if this originated with him, uh, Pastor Jeff Noblet, but I remember him saying one time this. He goes, a humble man doesn't think too little of himself. He doesn't think too much of himself. He simply doesn't think of himself. <laughs> and the whole thing is when someone comes to me and says, you know, there are so many people who are better preachers and everything than you, I just go, yes, I agree. There are better administrators than you, Brother Paul. Yes, absolutely, I agree. But the fact is I'm here and they're not and I have to go forward because I'm going to be held accountable on that great day. So draw encouragement. The fact that a church somewhere, elders somewhere acknowledge that you ought to be in the ministry enough to risk laying hands on you, that there are people in your life, wife included, who see gifts in you. Go forward with that. Don't grovel, don't be proud, the two extremes, and don't stay passive. You know, a lot of people, they use their supposed lack of giftedness in order to uh, in order to somehow vouch uh, for their passivity, their laziness, their slothfulness. I'm preparing a study right now for the young people, the children on Proverbs, and we're dealing with slothfulness. And it wasn't until I was in seminary, I was in systematic theology class, and one of the professors brought up uh, slothfulness as being one of the greatest sins. And if you go back to, I think, even Pope Gregory I, and then I think Thomas Aquinas elaborated on it, the seven deadly sins or mortal sins, capital sins, one of them is slothfulness. And you can somehow justify, that's the word I was looking for, your slothfulness by saying, I'm not that gifted. Well, even if you're not that gifted, you have the requirement to improve. And so did Timothy. You know, how many people may have said to Timothy, we don't know, but Timothy, what are you doing here? You're not the Apostle Paul. Who do you think you are? It doesn't matter. God's truth is truth. And we're required to know it, to stand by it, to proclaim it. And you, my dear brothers, you are required to improve. To improve your knowledge, to improve your, uh, your sanctification. Salvation is justification. Salvation, I'm sorry, regeneration. It's monogistic. It's God working alone to regenerate you. Sanctification, synergistic. There is a sense of cooperation. You're not going to grow in knowledge or your ability to preach and expound God's word by simply just waiting on God, letting go and letting God. He's commanded you 
to give all diligence to these things. You know, a man who who gives diligence to his labor, according to the book of Proverbs, he'll, he'll not stand before ignoble men. You know, I've, I've lived my life with farmers and, and laborers and, and all sorts of people. And there are especially I've known among welders and things like that, men that literally you bring them in, they can fix anything. They're geniuses in their craft. Uh, we have guys here that work on uh, IT and computers and you have a problem. They just come in and they fix it. It's because they've studied, they've, they've disciplined themselves, they've grown in their profession. How much more should we be growing in our profession? But many of you are so strung out and so run around and led by other people who don't know any better that you don't even have time to improve your sanctification, your example. You don't even have time to improve your preaching or your knowledge. And then maybe some of you are just lazy. And that's slothfulness. And that's a very, very deadly thing to allow to get hold of you. A little sleep, a little slumber, the folding of your hands. My, my mom, bless her heart, she went home to be with the Lord. It was 20 years ago, probably 14 years ago, when I was a boy. It was just hilarious. She would memorize scripture and she would, I don't know when she memorized this text, but she would come into my bedroom in the morning if my dad hadn't already gotten me up. And she would say, how long will you sleep, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? <laughs> well, preachers need to hear that. Not just physically, but spiritually. Awake. The end of the ages have come upon us. The mysteries that were hidden to the saints have now been revealed. You and I have an obligation to take the gospel to the remotest parts of the earth. So, to whom much is given, much is required. Do you remember the one man in, in Matthew 25 who, he just got one talent. He didn't get as many as the others. And he thought that gave him an excuse for not developing that talent. Well, there's no excuse, brethren. There's no excuse at all. Now, I want to go on and, um, or we may just wait for our next session to go on to verses 15 and 16 because they are so, so very important. But I tell you what, let's let's do something really quick. Let's run over to Matthew 25. And look at look at verse 24. And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. 
But his, man, his master answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Now, here's what I want you to look at. He wasn't called just to guard the talent. He was called upon to improve it. Do you see that? Not just keep it, guard it, let it stay like it is. No, because he says you should have gone ahead, then just put it in the bank, literally give it to someone else and, and let them get some interest out of it for me. Improve upon it. If he gives you one talent, he's expecting back more than one talent because he's given you grace to improve upon what he's given you. So stewardship is not just to maintain. Stewardship is to go forward. It's to advance. And, and, and Paul is going to tell Timothy here in just a little while, he's going to tell him to make progress with these things, that his progress be evident to all. Not just that he maintain, but that he make progress. One of the most beautiful things, since sometimes I travel, that I may see someone and be with them for a week or so, and then not see them again for five years or 10 years, and then come back and see, oh my, oh my, this is no longer a boy. This is a man. His knowledge of scripture, his, uh, you know, his application, his walk, it's a completely different person. And you say, well, that's supposed to happen naturally. No, it doesn't. You grow old naturally, but you don't grow spiritual naturally. You don't have to work at growing old or ugly, <laughs> but you have to work at becoming more and more Christ-like. You start out and you go, you know, I've met men that started out and they really weren't that good of a preacher. And there were others that obviously were far more gifted, but in time, the one who seemed less gifted became a far greater preacher just because of his labor, just because of his investment. You know, if I was if I was in your church and, you know, they were asking me these questions about how should what should be our relationship with our pastor? I'd say, how much time do you give him for advancement? In godliness, in usefulness, are you checking up on him with regard to how many hours a week he is spending learning the scriptures and being conformed to them? There are so many things that would just be fixed if our ministers were doing what they were supposed to be doing. Well, that should give us hope. That should give us hope. All right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And the next time we meet, we'll come back and we'll do 15 and 16. And uh, then we go on to, uh, to chapter 5. Um, and see what the Lord has for us there.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Please work in the heart of these young ministers, Lord. Please work in their churches, work in their lives. Cause them, Lord, to, to flourish so that your people might flourish. Oh, God, we are so uh, needy. We look to you. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.